0: Welcome to the Legally Sound Smart Business Show, your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Staub.
1: All right. Welcome to our podcast where we cover business in the news and also answer some of your business legal questions that you, the listener, can send in to ask at LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This is Nasser Pasha.
2: And this is Matt Staub. Welcome to this podcast
1: oh that's i screwed it up we had it so good but then
2: i messed yeah up. should have planned, maybe <laughs> planned it out for more than 15 seconds but i like it it's you know change it up middle of the week you know people need some sort of something new something new to listen to it's like the seventh inning stretch and change it up right change up the pitcher. <laughs> unfortunately this isn't a new topic because we've talked about this before I don't like to repeat stories, but in some instances we have to just because of what's involved and this is going to affect businesses and there's really no other way to put it. Yeah. The Yelp case, which I think we discussed after the result in the trial court level, didn't we? I think we did, right?
1: Yeah, I think so. I know you and I talked about it. I can't remember if we did it over the show or not.
2: Okay. So they just had their verdict from the federal appellate court. And basically, they said, I guess I'm paraphrasing what this says, but this is a summary. So a little background. They, obviously, people are upset because Yelp you know, is being accused of giving paying clients favorable reviews and people that deny their advertising, they're you know, giving them fake bad ratings. So that's the accusation that's out there. But the Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals said that Yelp is entitled to set a price for its ads and the businesses are here to have no legal right to a high rating. As Yelp has the right to charge for legitimate advertising services, the alleged threat of economic harm is at most hard bargaining and not extortion or unfair business practices. So basically what this is saying is, is Yelp can pretty much do whatever they want. As how I'm reading this. And, you know, if someone denies wanting to have the advertising, if a business denies the advertising, then, you know, Yelp can dock them accordingly, even if it's, I don't know if they talked about the actual fake reviews, but isn't that more or less what this is saying here?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with that. Keep in mind that the court didn't actually look at the facts as to whether or not Yelp was actually doing this or not because this was a review of law before we even got to that point because Yelp has vehemently denied despite many businesses' accusations that basically their Yelp reviews are distorted depending upon whether they're an advertiser or not. And Yelp says, our algorithm does not take into consideration whether it's a paid advertiser or not. And so that seems a little bit unbelievable to some businesses, but let's just assume that's true for a moment. And that's what they did. And the court says that's okay because this is a private business and... It doesn't fit the legal definition of extortion in both a criminal or civil capacity, and so therefore, it's perfectly fine. And you might find this surprising, Matt, and I know we've attacked Yelp many times before, but I almost hope that Yelp starts manipulating its reviews this way a little bit more openly. Because think about it, from a user experience, if you know that Yelp basically just shows good reviews for or those businesses that actually pay for advertising and bad reviews for businesses that don't pay for advertising, then the value of those reviews are lessened even more than they already are. And I almost hope that Yelp takes advantage of this and starts openly manipulating its ratings if they haven't already.
2: Yeah, and I'm sure you have too. I've talked to a bunch of people that have had this problem. I've talked to people that have paid for advertising. Things were great and they stopped paying and all of a sudden their good reviews started disappearing and bad reviews started appearing. So like you said, they didn't get to that actual factual issue with this, but it's not the point is that saying, even if they did, you know, this is fine, whatever they want to do. So from a business owner perspective, I'm trying to think how they should approach this. I mean, do you go forward and pay the money so you look better or?
1: That's a good question. I think our marketing consultants would probably say Yelp is just something that you have to deal with. So it's here to stay and so forth. And that may be true too, because I'll tell you this, if you have a business that people rely on to go to because of Yelp reviews and so forth, and all of a sudden overnight, all your good reviews are filtered out and all your bad reviews, even if they're very small are shown, and therefore all of a sudden you go from a five-star rating to a four and three or even less... That's a huge business loss. And paying Yelp, even though it may seem like extortion, may be worth it from your perspective. I personally would try my best to avoid it at all costs is because my philosophical problems that I have with that kind of business practice, in my opinion. But I have to note this, just this last week, you know, we get Yelp review issues all the time. And by the way, this new court ruling does not protect defamation. If someone lists out something that is defamatory, you can still go after that individual for that defamatory statement. But we just got an email this last week saying that this person has been blackmailed by Yelp. And that they told her that they are going to post only their negative reviews and hide the positive ones until they pay them. And in the past, Yelp has, from my understanding, they may have said this in the, a while ago, but in the, in the most recent years, the Yelp representatives have been very careful not to use those kind of specific, almost threats, basically saying that. And I got this call last week. I'm just wondering if, because of this court case, Yelp representatives are a little bit more open with that because they feel like they now have the law on their side as well.
2: Yeah. And it's hard to discuss things like this because it's appellate court level. So we don't know if this is going to get appealed and get up to the Supreme Court level. So I don't like to always discuss things until it's actually final. But I mean, this is a problem and I have a problem with this ruling. I just don't see how this is beneficial for anyone involved other than Yelp. I mean, I guess maybe the businesses that are paying for the advertising, but you know, you're still paying money out of pocket for
1: this. Yeah. And that basically means that Yelp can keep raising their advertising rates because eventually there's a point where businesses have to pay in order to stay in business. And so I think it's inherently unfair. They even use the unfair business practices statute in California, and that didn't seem to weigh the judges and so forth. And I'm not sure if the argument was poor or the judges got it wrong, but just it seems like there is something wrong with that. And yeah, you're right. We'll we'll wait to see what's going on with the Supreme Court. But I have to mention, this is a big win for Yelp, but Yelp had another big win this week with the California state statute that was passed, which is basically termed the Yelp law. And we talked about non-disparagement clauses. I think it was in New York in previous episodes, but there's been no statute on a state level until now, basically saying that if you have a consumer contract You can't have a provision that says that the person can't post a bad review, otherwise they'll be penalized of some sort. So in a consumer contract, this law in California, and I I can't remember if it's effective now or effective later. We can update you on that or look it up. Basically, if you do that in your contract and it's intentional or willingly, then you can actually be penalized thousands of dollars just for having that in your contract agreement. So again, another big one for Yelp, but I actually agree with that law.
2: Yeah, well, uh, I agree with it to some extent and it doesn't start until 2015. So businesses still have a few months to have that in there, but I don't have a problem with having that clause in there as long as it's outlining a statement that's made that's false. I read a little bit into the story you were just talking about, but I didn't read fully into it. And so I don't know if that's covered under that or not.
1: Yeah. I think no matter what, defamation is still going to be defamation in the sense that If they post something that is negative but also false, they won't be able to do that. But if it's a matter of opinion and negative, apparently in a consumer contract, you can't do that anymore in California. Sorry, in two thousand fifteen.
2: I'll have to go through and read in detail what it really has. I mean, I, I don't have a problem with, you know, having threats I don't have a problem with the legislation in that sense where you can't have a threat in the contract saying you can't complain. Yeah, definitely a great week for Yelp, I suppose. Our nemesis. Again, I really hope
1: that, That law could be appealed, but I hope people just get it already. I think people already understand you can only take reviews at its face value only because who the people that are reviewing and whether they're real or not, it's very hard to tell. And that's why people look at the numbers and so forth. But if Yelp is literally just filtering out half, I mean, sometimes I've seen businesses that have 50 reviews and then 20 to 30 of the positive ones are filtered out. And there's something that's so weird. And so I just hope from a consumer perspective, even I'm going to make a more conscious effort not to use Yelp just because of this stuff. It really annoys me.
2: I'm still going to continue to use it probably, but... What?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Apparently my boycott's not going to catch on. In fact, from now on, I'm making an official stance until I have proof that Yelp stops these manipulative practices because there's just so much evidence that they are continuing to do so. I am boycotting Yelp. I said it today. It's a strong statement. How are you going to choose where to go eat? Well, I do use Google reviews. I have used Yelp in the past, but I don't know. I just have to like ask around and use other means of social media and review sites that are alternative. I'm sure there's, like I said, Yelp needs a competitor in this space. Google reviews, I think, is the, or maybe Foursquare, but. I don't think people
2: use that anymore or not. I think that's pretty much on the outs. Really? There's Urban Spoon that's been around for a while, but I don't think they've really gained any traction.
1: Yeah. And also, I always feel like I'm always a little bit off compared to what the average reviews are in the sense that a good restaurant that has good reviews, I'll be like, I don't understand why this is good. And then another restaurant that may be smaller that has maybe like two or three reviews and hardly anything is one of my favorite restaurants. So,
2: yeah, I'm looking at your Yelp profile right now. You have 258 <laughs> reviews. 240 <laughs> of them are one star. Yeah. It's, it's very, very harsh. Yeah. They're all bowling alleys, too. I just review bowling <laughs> alleys. <laughs> I don't know if there's that many bowling alleys in the country, but uh, yeah. Actually, I've never bowled in my life either, but I just go there for the food. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting choice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that explains all your one-star reviews. <laughs> I think Bowling Alley restaurants probably are pretty low on the restaurant scale, but... And I always order the most exp- Like, I always order the lobster or something fancy. <laughs> the lobster. And they mess it up every time.
1: One lobster, please.
2: All right. Well, let's get to our question of the day. Question of the day. Hi. I am 16 and my partner is 15. We've started our own car brokerage business. When do you think we should actually establish? And when we do, what should we establish as ensure we split control and ownership 50-50? So right off the bat, it's a car business with one of the two people can't even drive, right? A 15-year-old? (laughs) Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, 15. Well, I guess some states may, the 15-year-old may have a learner's permit. You can have a permit, but you <laughs> have to have an
2: adult in the car. So the 16-year-old partner came and be yep. the passenger. So I don't want to crush <laughs> these people because I, I admire two teenagers starting a business. I think that's very good, but I would start something where you're at least of age to, in two years, they're going to start an alcohol selling business. <laughs> <laughs> you know, actually what I like about this
1: question, you know, obviously every week we have to choose which questions to answer and Sometimes we we push off to the next week and so forth. But what I like about this question is that these two people are young and they are asking a question that many may seem pretty basic, but it's a question that a lot of entrepreneurs and small businesses, when they're starting out, don't ask. And that is, when should we actually establish a formal organization or entity and how should we ensure that we're splitting up our business appropriately, in this case, 50-50? And Believe it or not, it's just a very common thing that's just delayed and postponed because people think, oh, we'll deal with it later and I trust the other person, etc.
2: Yeah, that's true. Are there age limits for who can even set up an entity? I don't know. I guess they can file it and it doesn't really matter.
1: That's a whole different issue, right? Uh, You can be a minor and have ownership, but the problem is when it comes to signing contracts and being obligated under contracts, even though in most states you can actually sign a contract, but... Until you're 18, it can be voidable by the minor. And so when you have two minors that are agreeing to each other, then it's kind of like a loosey goosey kind of arrangement because technically either party could terminate. And, but then there's also some other legal theories that, like unjust enrichment and things like that, that can be fall back on for any kind of unjust business relationship. But I think that's a that's also a whole other
2: issue as well. So that's probably a, something that needs to be looked into for this teenage car brokerage. Let's see. So establish we split control and ownership 50-50. Well, I think like de facto right now, it's probably going to be 50-50 split, I suppose. I mean, I don't know.
1: Yeah, they have a general partnership, right? And unless you have something else in writing that says otherwise, almost every state has basically uniform partnership laws where... If there's nothing else in writing, these are the default rules. And where you're sharing profits, then it's assumed that all the expenses and profits are shared equally, et cetera, in the same proportion as the other. And there's all these other laws. But if you really want to ensure split control and ownership, obviously you have to put that in writing as far as when you should do that as soon as possible. I mean, there's no doubt that you should be able to put that in writing as soon as possible. But of course, and this is kind of obvious too, but setting up the proper entity and corporate veil or limited liability structure that can prevent you from being personally liable and also your family for that matter for your debts that may incur. But going back to the 16 and 15 year old thing, I would even consider, you know, since you are starting this business and you have started actually, consider getting adults and your parents more involved in the business itself in the sense that, they could be the conduits to the contracting and the ownership. And then you can have an, a, an informal agreement between you and your parents saying, okay, you know, just give me the profits or a percentage of the profits and so forth. But let the adults, I know it sounds condescending, but let the adults kind of take care of this legal arrangement to make it all enforceable.
2: I mean, that's great advice. I like the how ambitious they are trying to start this business. It's Mark Cuban-esque. I know for those of you who don't know, Mark Cuban used to... and When he was 12, he used to sell garbage bags door-to-door, however that worked. But that's not the same thing as having a car brokerage at age 15 and 16. So yeah, some adults are definitely... And the problem here too, this is not a legal opinion, but the problem here too is I don't know if anyone's going to do business with you if you're 15 and 16 years old. You kind of need that adult to be in there. At least I wouldn't do any business with a 15 or 16 year old, unless it was to buy a car. (laughs) Yeah. I'd buy a trash bag from a 12 or 13 year old. There you go. All right. That's our advice is change your business to trash bags.
1: (laughs) What I would not buy is a car. I'd consider buying maybe a computer. Maybe, maybe that's an expensive item.
2: Yeah. I mean, anything that's going to be more than 20 bucks, but I, I assume it's like stolen or something like, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> it's know. happened to me before. What do you mean it's happened to you? You sold stolen computers? No, no. I one time in college, I was in a parking lot and these two guys pulled up to me. They were just like laughing hysterically. They're like, "We work for this company. You know, the the order the order <laughs> got screwed up. We got all this free stereo equipment." It's like, it's crazy. We'll sell it to you for like a few hundred dollars. It's like, there's something very questionable about this. Oh, yeah. And I went home and told one of my friends, and they're like, oh, yeah, we bought that like last year. They <laughs> <We> bought it. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I guess it's, yeah, it's very questionable. Like it, none of it made sense at all. So, yeah, no, they've done specials on that. It's a total
1: scam. Usually they're just overpriced sound equipment with fancy uh, logos and details on it. And usually what's on the box is different than what's inside and so forth. But, So I think my final advice to these 16 to 15 year olds is to uh, basically steal stereo equipment and make sure you get the 1550 in riding and then sell it on, you know, back of the parking lots of your truck that you can't drive legally.
2: Bingo. And you'll make tons of money if you pay Yelp for the advertising.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, thanks for joining us, everyone. Midweek. And don't forget to keep leaving your iTunes reviews and also... Keep in mind that iTunes does not, you don't have to pay them to leave any reviews or anything like that. So completely free. True. All
2: right. Keep it sound. Keep it smart.
0: This has been the Legally Sound Smart Business Show with your hosts, Nasir Pasha and Matt Staub. The Legally Sound Smart Business Show is your weekly look at legal news and questions in the business world. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast that is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date. And should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney client relationship is created by listening or submitting questions to the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is offered only for general informational and educational purposes. You should not act or rely on any information in the podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney.